the All Things Productivity podcast, discussing all things productivity, interviews and chats, all helping you turn chaos into control. Now, welcome your hosts, David and Maria. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Things Productivity podcast. I'm David. I'm Maria. And today we're both a bit excited. Very excited. We've had Chris Van de Kylon speaking to him about uh, his journey in the gaming and software industry um, and how he's stayed productive through that. So Chris Chris runs a company with his co-founder, uh, 4J Studios. Mm-hmm. And 4J Studios are responsible for, as many of you will know, taking the development of Minecraft from the PC to the world of console, mm-hmm. which, uh, Maria, I think you said they started with Xbox first. Yep, started with Xbox in 2012 and sold thousands and thousands upon thousands of units. And then uh, that's turned into the millions and they've made a good profit from that. So we've waited quite a while for this interview um, yeah. really excited it's here I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, please let us know give us your feedback um, any questions send them to us uh, at allthings underscore io and we hope you enjoy it thanks So, Chris, you're currently chairman of 4J Studios, Entrepreneurial Scotland, and Tayforth Consulting Limited. Alongside this, you're on the board of Bright Solid and act as a visiting professor of digital entertainment at Abitay University. How do you stay on top of it all? So do you use a particular tool or have an established routine? You know, we're all about productivity here, so we'd love to hear. Yeah, you, you missed out a uh, father of three children. Ah. Uh, well, it's the toughest <laughs> job. In, indeed. Um, I've I've always had a fairly eclectic uh, set of interests in you know professional and personal life. I've always been on the go with uh, a number of things. I you know it's just part of my makeup. You know if, if you give me one job to do, I, I get bored quite quickly and become annoying and all sorts of things. So 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 it's to some people they kind of got far too much on it, and, and actually it's the way I work best because I then propagate things from you know different things that I'm involved in. Uh, become relevant to other uh, roles and other places and networking them all around. So it's it's part of me. I'm I don't have an established routine. Mm-hmm. I, I have a I have a routine of board meetings and you know regular meetings that are in the diary, you know, across a calendar year or whatever that, um, that I need to do. But you know, there's not a certain Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. That's just not how I work. I, I really look at priorities, you know, what's coming up, what needs attention at a particular time. I I hate to say it, it may sound, well, it is a big luxury. My my secret weapon is my assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's actually on holiday just now. You know, she's in the second week of her uh, of her summer holiday and, it, and I've become a gibbering wreck. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I look like a rabbit in headlights whenever somebody phones me to try and uh, organise something. Uh, and it is, you know, delegating that uh, organisational task is hugely important to me. Uh, now, the more I can use technology to do that, and I always have done, mm-hmm. um, you know, the better. Uh, but still, in terms of the complexities that are around, uh, you know, my day to day life, um, I definitely need another human being in it. And frankly, it's the old adage as well. I'm not very good at it. You know, she's way, way, way better um, than I am at organising and and not just simply administering organisation, but actually thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, the calendar, the schedule. How do you create space? To think sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. how, how do you, you know, and she's, 
you know, having worked with her for a number of years now, uh, you know, she's she's brilliant at it. Um, whereas I'm far more likely to just agree to do things and then end up with a you know with a week that it's impossible to be productive um, within. So we work as a team. We really mm-hmm. work as a team on that. Um, and then digital tools. I mean, there's no question that I, you know, I've, I've, I was a, a, an early doctor of BlackBerry. I think in 1999, <laughs> I had my first BlackBerry and probably the best thing about it was live diary updating. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, you know, because I've, I've always, I, and again, with the kind of interests that I've got, I'm not really desk bound. You know, mm-hmm. I'm pretty much far more of my time is spent being peripatetic and diamond about places um, than fixed to um, an office location. So mobile technology uh, has been an absolute essential part of my of my life from as early as I could adopt it, really. Um, so even pre-BlackBerry, we're trying to do things, you know, upload files with diaries and things. Uh, but then the day, you know, that original BlackBerry came in and literally somebody went on uh, on a desktop machine and changed the diary item instantly. You know, that, I mean, that was yeah. magic to me. That was technology magic. Mm-hmm. So now we all kind of... Um, take a lot of that stuff for granted but they're they're the core tools mm-hmm. um, I think now um, some tools and you know I'll, I'll name check something that, that I'm using a lot more, like Wonderlist mm-hmm. which Microsoft acquired uh, quite recently and we've we've tried everything I mean there's mm-hmm. not a tool that's come along that we've kind of gone I ah, know we're not going to ignore it we'll try we'll normally try it and it'll survive you know a day or two mm-hmm. and then it'll get binned you know it'll get binned pretty quickly uh, and that's one of the things with, with the, this tool it's quite early on it's probably the first month of using it uh, but interestingly it's one of the first tools that's crossed the divide of I'm using it professionally with teams I'm mm. using it with my wife yeah. uh, you know I'm sure you know we'll get the kids onto it at some point <laughs> as well and uh, I, and it's good I like that I like when technology becomes unobtrusive and just becomes yep. part of your normal routine, that's when you know it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just for an exclusive amount um, of people. Um, you wrote some, up some interesting points there, and you know it's ringing. I don't know what you about you, Dave, but it's ringing a lot of truth with what we we talked to Catherine Garrett Cox uh, last week, and she. Um, like yourself is, you know, extremely busy. You both talk about like wanting to be busy is quite a thing. And we've noticed in that trend and a lot of people we've had on the show so far is that, you know, they're, they're not one to just sit about and do nothing. They've always got a project. They're always looking at other things like that. And it's all seems to be about spinning plates. Um, but you know, it's, you mentioned talking about delegation with your assistant and you know these are very human ways of getting around these things and the difference you also talked about i know i'm going you're talking about this you're talking about that um but the technology aspect of that was important to her you know and just simple things like digitalized calendars and but it's interesting you say on the human aspect of things you know getting your assistant to help organize things like that that you're dealing with the human side that maybe technology can't breach just yet yeah i I think there are again Technology has enabled, uh, you know, new forms of human collaboration in the kind of sense I'm talking about where people who have, uh, remote assistance and, mm-hmm. you know, so they I mean, my assistant and I, when we're in the same place at the same time and have it at the same office, you know, she, she works from, you know, from an office here in Dundee. Uh, but there's, you know, more and more facilities available mm-hmm. where you can engage the services of somebody good at any particular yeah. subject, but you, you never actually have to meet them, you know, so, so technology has enabled interesting new ways of uh, of human collaboration, but I do think your point is is very well made in that as part of my um, you know my professional life, it's really important that uh, not just me but my assistant as well has a strong relationship with the people I collaborate with. Um, 
you know, because that makes, you know, <laughs> it oils the wheels, you know, makes yeah. things happen. I, and no one should ever underestimate mm-hmm. once a, once a, a, a personal relationship starts to be established or a social relationship starts to mm-hmm. be established, even in a work, uh, working context, um, things always start to happen better because you know someone, you understand mm-hmm. what they might be thinking. So rather than, fire in a certain direction that you know is, is, is not going to work because it's just not how a person works you know having dealt with them a number of times you wouldn't ask in that way or you wouldn't organize mm-hmm. it in that way or you would keep a part you know if a certain person I work with for example I, maybe we'll know you know they half their week they they focus on other things so we'll always try we'll learn quite quickly to try and arrange things for certain times a day or certain times mm-hmm. times of the week I, and I do think you as a technologist one can always say, ah, yeah, but technology could start to understand that pattern. Mm, could start to, yeah. um, but as yet, I'm, you know, I, I think I, the, there's certainly no substitute for building strong relationships mm. um, in, in any environment, but certainly in a working environment. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Seems delegation and, um, yeah, delegation and knowing when to use teamwork to its best effect and make you more productive. Now, we heard this from Richard Tubb that oh, he yes. has a virtual assistant and he employed this virtual assistant and had never met her but he actually had been working with her for a year and a half she was the lifeblood of his business knowing that he could get up look in his diary and say why okay here's what I'm doing today a year and a half later decided he was actually just going to drive down to the other end of the country and meet her take her out for lunch mm-hmm. um, and he said since he actually made that effort to you know work with this virtual assistant, meet her in person, it's, you know, his relationships become even better. So yeah, that's good. That is yeah. interesting. Which leads us nicely on to the second question, Chris. So, you know, and you can choose which business you want to talk about, <laughs> yep. but, you know, what is the hardest part of managing your business? And, you know, I guess, how do you stay productive when, you know, dealing with the problems? Yeah, I think everyone knows the answer to this. And the answer is always, is always people. You know, people will try and suggest that it's in, you know, in our world, it's technology or technology problems and disaster or whatever, or it's finance. Or it's, it's not. It's, it's actually people, you know, and it's not just people within your business, it's people without your business as well. So effectively, if you have, you know, a competent business, a good business, and people know what they're doing and they're capable of doing, you know, it's as simple as finding people to consume whatever it is you do. So that may be, consumers themselves or it may be you know more than likely in most business situations it's some kind of business relationship even if it's distribution to consumers mm-hmm. you know there'll be there'll be a, a business um, in there um, in there somewhere although given the uh, you know given the disintermediation that the, uh, the the digital world has created more, more often people are dealing uh, directly with customers but those customer relationships will be challenging no matter what they are you know and Getting a level of confidence. I often, oftentimes it's, it's interesting to think about this. If you've got a business to business sale, I, you generally need to create and maintain relationships with a small handful yeah. of people. Um, certainly to start with, as soon as you decide to go direct to consumer, people make the mistake of thinking, well, that's fine. I'll just put it out there and they'll buy it. Yeah. No, you need to create relationships with all of those customers. You need to do it a very different way because hopefully if you've got huge volume, you're never going to be able to personally phone every single one of them, mm-hmm. or, you know, that kind of thing. So those relationships are challenging. 
building your team inside your company is always challenging and it's generally the biggest mistakes I see made are, are, are with that team and yeah. how people build over expansion. So allowing people to come into the team who should never be on the team in the first place, whether that be through reasons of competence or personality, or actually they're, they're all kind of intertwined. Um, those relationships then stretch into supply chain, however big or small that is. You know, anybody that's a sort of third party to your business, again, you know, you've got to manage those. And then further out into your supply chain, whether it be professional advisors, whether it be points of finance, banks, investors, um, all those personal relationships are, you know, are the most challenging things. Um, you know, now to manage, now, you know, I would hope, and I think it's been recognized to me that one of my core strengths is building those relationships and establishing them and, you know, and, and uh, being able to, Work with pretty much anyone, you know, around, you know, the, you know, the, there are people who, as we know, really only like to work with a certain kind of people, person or, or find it difficult to, uh, you know, they're very, I don't know, technically and, uh, logically minded. They find it very difficult to work with broadly creative people yeah. and vice versa. Um, I've always kind of found it quite easy to kind of get in the middle, in the middle of that. Um, but, Anyone, to be honest, that says to me, my problem is technology, my problem is money, the problem is never that. The problem is always the relationships that underpin that. You know, so it's more often than not, I just can't find the right people to develop the technology or, or I brought these people in and they're not doing it. It's like, yep, so your problem is finding the people and keeping yeah, the people right, and building the, the, the people that are there. Um, you know, the problem I've got is... I can't get the money or, or people have given me the money are an absolute nightmare. Well, yeah, there you go again. You know, it's either, you know, and yes, of course, there's a fundamental underpins all of this, which is if you've got some really unsustainable and terrible business in the first place, um, then you'll never be able to solve those people problems because the people you kind of bring in, some of them might, interestingly, especially if, if some of their livelihoods depend on you, um, or your business idea, or at least part of it, they'll probably be reticent to tell you that this is not a good place to be and actually you need to change it or you need to do something else. And that, again, is a people challenge, you know. Yeah. So, so I may be oversimplifying, but to me, you know, they, I, that's where it's focused. And, you know, when it, when it comes to dealing with these kind of challenges as well, um, I, th- I think there are a couple of points. One is an understanding and a recognition that you have to invest if you're in business, you have to invest an enormous amount of time in that side of it, far more than, than you'd expect. You, know, you think you're going to spend your time solving technical problems. No, you spend your time really solving uh, solving people problems. Um, but the the other the other side of it is, as you gain experience, in the nicest possible way, developing a lack of tolerance for people who are the wrong kind of people. And and that's not in the way I say in the nicest possible way. I mean, not getting angry and shouting at them, but actually realising quite quickly, no, the reason this isn't working is because this person is wrong. You know, they'd be right for somebody else, but they're wrong for us. So change it. And there is a strong element of human nature which doesn't like to do that. You know, you know, it's like you want to try and solve it or fix somebody. Yeah. In. Um, and of course, that's something you should look to do, but very quickly, you should probably come to a conclusion of no... You're going to be productive. If an organisation is going to be productive, the best thing you can do is have the right people in the right place. 
No, that's really interesting. So would you say you've got a great team at 4J at the moment? When we when we started 4J 10 years ago now, uh, we'd just come out of the back of a company called Viz mm. that we built to be one of the biggest games development companies in, in the UK, one of the biggest independent companies in the world. Um, and that was part of our goal. Our goal was to be the biggest and get scale and get, getting scale for us would mean more opportunity to build hit games, which would build value in the company and everything would be amazing. That was a fundamental mistake, you know, deciding that scale was the driver for the business. Um, but once we got on that uh, train, as it were, or, you know, chosen that route, um, our investment was predicated. So everyone, you know, we'd given them an expectation of growth and we had to deliver on it. Uh, so, so we had, you know, old, innumerable challenges, you know, around, around people um, in that business, which ultimately led to the sale of the business, which was an unsuccessful sale, uh, as the people who bought us went bust and we were, you know, we ended up, um, you know, sitting 10 years ago saying, right, well, what do we do now? And we were absolutely determined. Paddy Burns, my co-founder and I were absolutely determined. We were not going to go back and do the same thing we did. You know, eight nine years previously in, in starting Viz, and that and the core of that was we absolutely want to be in games. We absolutely want to develop games, but we're going to do one thing, and that is hire the best people we know and only the best people we know. And if we let new people in, let's be a bit wary. You know, let's set the bar quite high, and then possibly ask them in for a short period of time to see how it works out. You know, because interview notoriously impossible. To, and you know, people have an excellent interview, but terrible at doing their job sometimes. Is that me, Dave? Um, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, so so be quite, and actually, if that restricts the growth of the business, absolutely fine. And that's what we'll do. And do you know, it's the best piece of advice we had ever heard from anybody. We took it on board and we executed on it. So today, you know, one of the reasons uh, 4G Studios is still relatively small. Uh, is because of that bar and because it's we really ask ourselves with every single person do we really need someone to come in uh, the answer is yes are we absolutely sure this person's amazing and sometimes the opposite we found an amazing person is the role we can find yeah, uh, you know absolutely. from doing, doing the organization so so that's that's been in the context of 4g the the best thing we've ever done and we now try with other businesses we work with we really try and instill the same philosophy um, on them. You know, sometimes to you know good effect. Sometimes, as always, other entrepreneurs will take their own path. But uh, you know, it, it certainly worked well for us. Now that resonates, you know, with me because you know, obviously, we're going into our second funding round um, just now. People are asking why we're not going, you know, across to the US to try and get more money. You know, our competitors, the Wonderlists, have just been bought by Microsoft. Why are we only looking for 600,000? You know, you could go to America and get millions, but we don't want to scale the business to that extent because we've got a good team here, nine of us in total. So yeah, it's not something I feel it's going to benefit us massively by, you know, exposing ourselves, I guess, further for well, a bigger amount of money. I, I think the, um, you know, in terms of the cycle of fundraising and growth for a, a let's call it a tech startup business, is a really interesting uh, case in point to, to what we just talked about, people development. Those of us that have been in and around that kind of scene and done it a few times, uh, you, know, you, you quickly learn, and partly, 
I suppose it's age and experience, you learn that it does take time. You know, even if you've got an amazing team, an amazing idea, the, uh, the concept that that will go from nothing to shooting the lights out in nine months is pretty much impossible. Now, of course, impossible can be disproven by, you know, the very odd exception to that. But pretty much all the overnight successes in the, in the technology industry have been around for at least five years. Yeah. Um, you know, even if you take something like Yammer, you know, Yammer was an internal project in a genealogy business, uh, which then was out in the wilderness for a number of years, incredibly well funded, before it finally started to bed and finally found a home actually in Microsoft. And, a, mm-hmm. and, and it'll be interesting because in, in my view, it's still not there as a, you know, it's, it's a go-to tool and it's, you know, it's an amazing success, but it still might get there. But that's been 10 years. Yeah. It's been, been 10 years now. Now, to that extent, I think the, the methodologies that we're all now more familiar with in terms of lean and agile development and, you know, fail fast type approach are absolutely encouraging. I've experienced entrepreneurs raising small amounts until they can see the magic bullet. Yeah. Um, far too often I'll have people coming through to see me to say, right, we need to raise X million. And I'll go, okay, what's, show me the product. And they can't, they can't show me anything. They can't mm. show me, but they're convinced, they're absolutely convinced they're right. And I always try and bring them down, whether you call it minimum viable product or whether you call it product, doesn't matter. Keep bringing them back to, well, show me. You know, how can you show me? What's the minimum amount of money? And I, and I always contextualize it in the, in the, you know, in, you know, really around the fact that the less money you spend now getting your idea honed and ready for market, uh, the more value you'll have left, you know, when, when the big value day comes. I, and I do appreciate the fact that people need to eat and, you know, and survive and keep a business going. I, but if they can find any way to beg or borrow or just keep it, keep it as small as possible until they're sure. Uh, because when they're sure, you know, they'll, they'll raise as much as they want. It'll be much easier to accelerate the business. When you're sure you've got a product, you've got a vision, it's much easier to communicate that as well. You know, this, this point about it's challenging to hire people and hiring the best people. Uh, oftentimes the challenge is you're still running around in circles trying to work out what it is you actually do. Mm. And whilst trying to do that, many people will throw volume at it. You will throw new, lots of new people. Oh, we've not solved that. I know we need 10 more people. It's the worst thing you can do. You know, you keep it as small as possible and you may have an amazing idea, but it's not quite the market opportunity or you can't quite find the market need for it. So you just keep going and keep going and then you'll know it. You know, the, the minute you push that wedge into a crack that starts to split open, Generally, it's then much easier to go and get a lot more people and say, this is what we're here to do. You know, you don't need to, you know, spend two months wandering around trying to find your purpose. Here's your purpose. Here's the vision for the company. This is exactly what we need you to do. And in those cases, you can start to deploy, you know, a lot of resource at it. I, I think the mistake a lot of companies make is raising too much early. And as a result of raising the money, needing to hire people before they actually know. Now they'll tell you, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing, uh, you know, taxi apps or something. But if they've not tried and tested and built in a market and proven it, they don't really know. Um, and the people that they bring in behind them will know even less. Yeah. So it's it's a, that's a recipe for disaster. So you know, so your point is, raise the right amount of money for your needs today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, there are points in the growth curve when you know if your value is going up through the roof because you're you know, your revenues have gone up for the Yeah, maybe you should raise an absolute yeah. ton of money, but then you'll be in control and you can, uh, you know, grow it from there. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Um, fantastic. Uh, I was going to ask a question about um, pain points or partic- uh, particular productivity drains unique to the gaming and software development industry and how do you overcome them? Um, yeah, there, there, there are a number of pain points I, uh, that are, well, if not unique to the games industry, um, are certainly well exemplified in the games industry. I think I think the biggest point of pain can be over creative ideas. Oh, yeah? Um, so everyone will have their own view on what's the right creative idea and what's the, the right way to go. And in fact, when a creative idea is described in a meeting or in words, everyone's interpretation of that creative idea can be either subtly or dramatically different. Is this a creative idea with how it's going to look or how it's been developed or is it anything? Any of the above, right. gameplay, mm-hmm. yeah. anything. Um, you know, when you've got a spreadsheet and you say, like, mm-hmm. we need a function that does this mathematical calculation, it's pretty easy to specify, go and give it to a developer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a designer saying to a developer, I want it to feel more squidgy or, kind of, <laughs> you, know, or you know, I want it to, uh, you know, to be more challenging, well, more challenging to whom and mm-hmm. in, in what respect. What, what's been interesting to us is starting to take lean and agile, um, sort of scrum, well, scrum mentality uh, to, to an extent, but the key part for me is involving the public at a far earlier stage. All right. Uh-huh. Um, so whereas before the games industry was very much, we're going to go into a black room and we'll come out of that black room in three years time and you're going to love the game we've made. Um, and you know, Minecraft and the team in Sweden that, that invented Minecraft and, and developed it up there uh, really showed us the way to this. They were releasing stuff in a state that us as uh, mm-hmm. you know more established developers would never have dreamt. It's like yeah. you know, bearing your soul, showing people mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't work. But their view was, well, so what? You know, if it doesn't work, they'll tell us why it doesn't work and the reasons we think it doesn't work are probably different from the yeah. real reasons it doesn't work. Um, and uh, because of that, you know, that game is what it is today. You know, it's, it's as much a design output or outcome mm. of the players that play it as, as, as much as anybody who, quotes, owns the design someplace in an mm. office. Um, and I think as we collaborate more and, you know, and I think companies like Facebook showed us the way. You know, I, I remember laughing at Facebook uh, in, in the early days when they were bringing out broken functionality. You know, they'd just release something. Uh, these guys, it's going to be a disaster. These guys are going to crash and burn. They keep bringing out broken software. You know, who's going to use it? I was, I was an idiot. You know, and, and you know, Zuckerberg and his pals were geniuses. You know, what they realised is people would invest themselves in that feature and go, "Oh, it's amazing!" But if you could only do this or do that, and then suddenly when it changed two days later, um, and that's a function of you know being able to live update and, and having um, you know having a, a culture where that's how you release. You know. We came from a culture where uh, we were pressing, you know, a million uh, shiny CDs or shiny DVDs, and if you had a mistake baked into baked into a million, yeah. you know, somebody could go bust. You know, so mm-hmm. testing and the rigorous nature of that, which clearly in mission critical applications, you know, you don't want to be too lean and agile on a nuclear reactor, no. for example. <laughs> um, but in the kind of things we're talking about, uh, you know. These well-trodden uh, philosophies of development are, are undoubtedly mm-hmm. the way to go. So I think that's alleviated um, a certain amount of pain uh, for us. I, although the interesting thing is when you deploy a piece of software that 
tens of millions of people play every day. Mm-hmm. The wonder of having 10 or 20 million people being able to give comment is also balanced by the challenge yeah. of uh, trying to understand that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and what 10 or 20 million people and and people who Minecraft for example become such an important part of their mm-hmm. life you know so you know they, they get very very uh, strong in the views of, uh, of thing, thing, in vocal uh, th- things that we do so that's about you know how do you deal with that well that's about communicating in the mm-hmm. right way you know so you never ever engage clearly in little individual threads yeah. but you do try and you know, spend time uh, living in it and feeling the the direction of the community, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's magical. You know, when we go away and keep, you know, we stay quiet, and then four weeks later we address something that we knew. Mm-hmm. You know, we could feel the momentum. Lots of the community wanted us to address this area, and we do. the The great feedback we get and the and the and the warmth we get is like nothing we've ever yeah. seen. And we would never, you know, before. Uh, five or ten years ago in online updates on even on mm-hmm. games console which is where we uh, you know where, where we focus a lot of our time uh, you know when we put something out that was it was gone and we were never going to touch it again we we'll would never update it mm-hmm. actually three four years into the uh, process of building that game putting an update out every few weeks is uh, is, is is an amazing experience for us because mm-hmm. we've been able to craft and take the game in a way um, that that audience wanted, and you know, we could never listen to them before. Yeah. We'd have to do it in the sequel, you know, yeah. and hopefully get it right. Now we're doing it on a daily basis, so that's that's helped us overcome that problem a lot. Absolutely, people become so invested in those kind of games, especially as well, that it seems only right for them to be kind of partly involved in the shaping process of ideas and add-ons, and you know, anything to do with it. Um, yeah, I, look, really I, I don't think it's any. I don't think it's any coincidence that. Minecraft, in all its formats, mm-hmm. the one we make on console, but also you know the PC and yeah. Pocket Edition, um, now on Windows Ten, um, you know the, there's such longevity mm. because it changes, it changes in ways, and it's not miraculous it's because we listen. It changes yeah. in ways that the community want it to change, mm-hmm. uh, and I've never seen that before in a game. Mm-hmm. You know, generally a game come burst into the sunlight. And then over a period of time, the sun sets on it and it's there. This game, you know, new generation have to find it. Yeah. And the game continues to play. So even the people who've been playing it for years will find new things to try in it mm-hmm. and find that things that annoyed them before have, have been fixed and sorted and moved on. Uh, and that's very new for games. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not new for, uh, you know, good enterprise software or good, or good productivity software. I mean, that's, that's always been that culture. But for us, we were never able to do it before. And now, mm-hmm. now we can. Much more engagement. Fantastic. Yeah. So we talked briefly there about Agile and Scrum, Chris. Is, yep. it, is it something you guys at 4J use? Um, you know, as we've talked about suitability, is it suitable for pushing out releases? And, you know, yeah, I, I, th- I think, again, because of the scale of the team, you know, it's a very tight uh, team. How many people is it? Four J's of holes, just over over twenty people. Okay. Um, software team um, is is a bit less than half of that, um, and you know, so you've got software, you've got an art team. But really, talking about the software team for a, for a second, it's such a small, tight, cohesive unit that it's naturally how they operate. You know, so so they don't have a 
formal you know process somebody comes in you're inducted into here's here's what agile you know and scrum mentality means uh, or methodology means for for forge studios it's just you know, it's the, here's how we, here's, yeah. it's the way it works. Here's how we divide. Here's how we conquer. Here's, here's, you know, here's your area. Here's how long you've got to, um, you know, to deliver to that. Because of the game we make, um, there's highly granular and regular, um, you know, updates and, and add-ons and things being developed from the game. So that, that by definition is exactly the, you know, you know, agile and scum, you know, they, they've got limited time. They've got a list of things that they've got hit. Um, they've got this feedback loop. I mean, we're we're long past. I mean, the guys in in Stockholm developed the MVP many years ago. You know, so when we took on the game into console, we were working from a base game that was already proven. Sure. Uh, you know, so so we never had to go through that phase uh, of of the development process. They did, and that certainly, again, very natively and very uh, in a very raw context. That's how they did it. They got something working throughout there, took feedback and off they went and just, you know, progressed and progressed and progressed. So it's, it's, it's really intrinsic and, and actually all, in, in many ways always has been for 4G. You know, it's, it's, it's the way we like to work and the technologies that surround us and, and that we publish on, you know, allow us to do it in a, in a much better way than ever before. So you mentioned the feedback loop. Yeah. Um, how does the feedback loop work for the console side that you guys are doing? Yeah. And obviously, you know, the stuff that the guys in Stockholm are pushing out there. Yeah. So, so, so we, we work very collaboratively, um, with, with the, with the whole team. Uh, and there's lots of communication that goes on, um, you know, goes on across all the pieces. Uh, but we, our principal method at 4G of communication is with, is through our Twitter feed. And mm-hmm. by definition, the people that follow 4G Studios follow 4G Studios because of console Minecraft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so we see, and oftentimes we'll see, hey, this has appeared in the PC version. When are we getting it? You know, mm-hmm. the, but, but already there would be communication between our guys and the guys in Stockholm about right. what feature sets from their versions we'd be looking to bring in next. So, so it kind of intersects in a, uh, you know, in a, in a number of different ways. Console is a different experience. You know, you're, you're playing on a, you know, um, on a game controller uh, in a in a different way. So it it is, although to some people's eyes it might be subtly different. Actually, to players' eyes, it's a really different, very different experience. So it has to then do things in its own way. You know, so the way that you would do something with a keyboard and a mouse, it's and it's not just a way of replicating the user interface or the uh, even the kind of feel of the gameplay or a camera or things like that. Will be significantly different, uh, you know, when it comes to it. So it's knowing, and that's where that's where the real skill in the in the in the guys who 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 lead the teams at uh, 4G uh, really come in. It's that experience of saying, yeah, I can see what they're doing in, on handheld, and I can see what they're doing in PC. Here's what we would do to make that work in the environment of uh, of console, and that's what you know. That that's the the crucial element. So it's not just a, I mean, clearly there's a technical, uh, massive technical difference in how we develop versus how um, the PC Java version has yeah. been developed. Uh, but actually, I personally believe that's not the biggest challenge. I believe the biggest challenge is thinking about console experience and what makes it fantastic to sit around with four controllers at home and have a yeah. split screen, which you're never going to do on a, you know, on a, on a phone, for example. Mm-hmm. I guess it's personal to ask, do you play Minecraft yourself? 
Of course, with three children, <laughs> uh, I was going to say ten, 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 eight, and seven. Um, I, I absolutely play Minecraft. I'm, I mean, I, actually, I do love the game. I mean, I think the game's genius on so many levels. Uh, but interestingly, most of my Minecraft playing uh, effectively is I get control of four and get told what to build. <laughs> so they're off having fun, and I just get told to go and I don't know, build a greenhouse or something. That's the boring bit <laughs> for kids, at least. <laughs> exactly. So they get dad in to do that. So. Well, speaking like life. <laughs> speaking yeah. of zombies, yeah. uh, I would love to know what because this is a bit of an on-running joke and in the thing, and we ask this question, and it's like, oh, you know, it's not really productivity related, but I think it's good for our listeners to get a sense of who you are as a person and all that stuff. Uh, so. Uh, what would you do if there was a zombie apocalypse? What would your plan be? Probably to... Uh, Obviously, you must have faced this many times yeah, in game. <laughs> Probably to hunker down and work out how to write a game that zombies would like to play. <laughs> ah, then, yes. And then, and then distract them by just setting up in front of consoles and then they won't attack anybody. Brilliant. Anymore. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, that's in running for the best answer. Best answer has. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Excellent. Lastly, do you... And this is a question we ask everyone, but do you think there is such a thing as work-life balance? And if so, how do you make sure you achieve it? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, of course there is. And like uh, all things that involve balance, uh, you know, there are days when you're, uh, you know, on the balance ball and your feet are both in the right place. And there are days when you're in danger of falling off. Yeah. Um, so anyone I think that says, I'm very aware of anyone that says I have a perfect work-life balance and, you know, mm. my world is... Is immaculate and others, you know, you, you'll roll from challenge to challenge both in your personal life and in your work life. I, and one of our, I'm sure for all of us, you know, our single biggest challenges in life is, is try to keep that, um, in the, you know, in the, in the right, uh, in the right proportion. And when it gets, when it gets out of whack, uh, the, the difficult thing, I think for many of us that are really, uh, busy and love what we do and, you know, are out there building businesses or involved in businesses, I, it would be easy if you've got a great home life and, and, and great family support to push them to the same school. You know, they, they're, they're always the easy ones to kind of say, oh, no, don't worry, I'll, I'll get, I need to, I need to get this thing because this customer in outer Mongolia is going crazy. So don't worry, I'll be back later. I, I think having children mm. uh, gives you a much, much better perspective because you do realize that there's, you know, a real ticking clock that won't stop for you. It won't stop for you going to do the next deal. You know, they won't, um, you know, hold from their school play or their school sports day because you have to go on a business trip to the US uh, or whatever it is. Uh, and I hope, my wife may tell you differently, but I hope that, you know, over the past few years, I've really tried to get that balance, uh, you know, f- far more uh, in, in the right place. Uh, and guess what? When you do get in the right place, I think you're better and more productive um, in work as well. Yeah. Um, there's no question that I think one of the biggest challenges with a product, a productivity, however you wanted to define productivity, is that if you give people the opportunity around you to throw things at you, if you're somebody that they'll know will take on a challenge and will give it a go, what they're going to do, they're going to throw more challenges at you. Yeah. Um, so if you let it happen, you'll become overloaded to whoever the noisiest person or the noisiest organisation um, or the busiest organisation you're involved in. So so I think it's really crucial. Uh, and even things like there's family life, but you, if you even slightly abstract, 
you know, the personal side of that, you know, whether it be kind of health and well-being mm-hmm. um, side, it becomes probably even easier to cut that stuff out, you know, to say, right, well, okay, I've run out of time, so do you know what? I'm not going to go out on my bike because I can take that three hours I'll be out on my bike and I can get this thing done, and that's good. I think what I've realised, and, and again, maybe it's um, getting slightly longer in the tooth, but the time I'll invest in getting on a bike and, you know, and cycling 50 or 60 miles the return on that investment is enormous, you know, in terms of how I feel, how, you know, both mentally and physically, uh, energy levels, all those kind of things that sound a bit crass, but it's absolutely true. Um, And from time to time, you have to remind yourself of that as well. You really do, because it's really easy to get into a groove of, wow, things are piling on. And, you know, when you've got good support structures and good organisational structures or great productivity tools, the next thing comes in, the next thing comes in, the next thing comes in. Um, and you have to kind of be capable of just going, right, well, stop the bus a second. Let me just have a look at the past week. What did I actually do? What was good? What was bad? And did I actually spend time on, you know, whether it be family, whether it be, you know, and generally the, the biggest one is, well, I didn't, I never went to, the, you know, whether it be the gym, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is, that's really easy to jump out. So the balance is vital. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's, and possibly it's getting older as well. Um, you time just seems to accelerate and accelerate, and the you know I've I've definitely I'm definitely looking into a, a two year year. Mm-hmm. I think twenty four months for a year would be a far uh, more <laughs> achievable. I'd be able to achieve a lot more in my calendar because it seems like you know suddenly the next mm-hmm. thing's coming around, and I've got all these things now that I'm kind of got into a habit, whether it be family or work things. Oh, we've got that conference every year. We we'll mm-hmm. do that, and then you look at the time that's left over. Oh, scary. Um, it's really scary. I. Uh, and it genuinely is, you know, it's why I think productivity is such a great subject to, uh, to tackle because you can actually step back and go, okay, what did I achieve? Was that a good thing? Or mm-hmm. Have I actually spent half my week doing stuff that achieved absolutely nothing? Mm-hmm. Um, and we all do. We all from time to time do stuff. And sometimes that's a, you, you almost call it a productivity risk. Well, I don't know if it'll work or it'll be productive or not, but I'll give it a go. Yep. But if you don't evaluate it and you just keep doing it and it's rubbish, yeah. you know, that's do it once, mm-hmm. do anything once, but then ask yourself, you know, was it worth doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it was worth doing, great. And probably it was worth doing, but I could do it better. Mm-hmm. That's a good response. But I think we're far too uh, quick to just jump in the next thing or just let it go. Okay, yeah, I've done that meeting and let's go to the next one and schedule the next one without actually saying, was there any point in that one? Yeah. And I, I think I've probably been from time to time particularly bad at that. Just go, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. You know, this will be great. It'll be fantastic fun. Um, my business partner, Paddy, is far more ruthless. You know, he's, he's far more, ruthless. you know, he'll, he'll turn around to me and go, I'm just not doing it. Yeah. Well, why, why not? So, well, look, the time I'm doing that, I could have this done mm-hmm. and I could have this done and what we're going to get from doing that. And, Sometimes I kind of give them a hard time for go, oh, come on, look, unless you try stuff like this, you'll mm-hmm. never know. Yeah. Um, and that's true as well. So the balance is, okay, let's try this one this week because we've never done that before. But at the end of it, let's not beat each other up, but let's mm-hmm. go, will we ever do that again or will we not do that again? Um, and often if you get to that point where you go, wow, that's an hour of my life I'm never getting back again, um, you know you've done, yeah. <laughs> you've done the wrong thing. Reminds me of, we interviewed my friend Chris, uh, Chris Martin. Yep. Who I think you know, he was very keen on pointing out pulling the right levers. Mm, pulling the right um, levers, doing the right thing. I know he is definitely your paddy 
to yep. me who say, let's try this, let's do it. Um, he'll say, no, waste time, not doing it. I know it won't be good, blow it. And, you know, it's about pulling the right levers to make sure that you get done what you need to by the end of the week. Um, but what's, you know, interesting from, from my perspective, at least, and what I've noticed in, uh, throughout the episode so far is this idea of self-reflection and, yep. and, ma- and managing this idea of life, work-life balance and things like that, when yep. it, whether it's professional or personal, having a look at what you've done over the last two weeks or one month or whatever and seeing how you've divided your time and if it's successful or not is often the biggest indicator to yourself because you can't really lie to yourself yeah. in a sense that if you could look and just say, oh, well, I've done this, this and this, that must mean I'm productive. But when you're looking back on what you've done uh, at home or at work and thinking, well, I could have done that or maybe I shouldn't have spent so much time on that, it allows you to better prepare for the next month and you know have a better sense of what you should and shouldn't be doing. I think it's really interesting. Sure, I think, I think self-reflection, absolutely, but combined with critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's easy to convince yourself, oh, that mm-hmm. was brilliant, I mm-hmm. really loved that. But you've actually got yeah. to apply some critical thinking, which is, why did I love it? Mm-hmm. Did it actually achieve? I yeah. might have loved it, but mm-hmm. was it enhancing in mm-hmm. you know, whatever way did did either bring the business on? Did it mean you know? Did it do positive things for me? And um, because a lot of time as well, you can self-reflect on. And oftentimes your gut feeling will be right. But yeah. You just feel, oh yeah, that was great. And then you know that's when th- you know I'll have all of them on my shoulder saying, you know, Paddy on my shoulder going, that might have been great, but what did you actually <laughs> yeah. do? And, you know, and fun is an important part as well. You mm-hmm. know, if you go through a week and achieve tons but have absolutely no fun doing it. Yeah. It's not a good either. So That's why we have a podcast. I know. <laughs> the fun part of our job. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much, Chris. That yeah. was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope the listeners, you enjoyed that. Uh, we'll do a quick wrap up. But, um, Afterwards, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, Chris. Good nice to see you both. Thanks. Nice to see you too. Cool. So welcome back. I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that. I think both Maria and I were were fairly excited about that beforehand. Mm-hmm. And you know, I thought Chris was a great guest. Um, I got a lot from that. How about you, Maria? Yeah, absolutely. It was really uh, good and in-depth as well. I think that's always a good, you know, quality to have in an interview. And I think that could have, we could have gone on for hours and hours and hours. Absolutely. You know, with, I think with the topic of productivity, yeah. you're never sure whether entrepreneurs are wanting to talk about that, whether they feel they have to say the right things. Mm. Maybe they're completely disorganized. And, you know, I thought we got quite a lot out of Chris in terms of, you know, perhaps he was used to before just saying yes to everything I think was yeah. something he alluded to but actually mm-hmm. you know I felt that you know his main savior was certainly his his assistant Anne mm-hmm. who schedules everything for him and makes his life easier mm-hmm. well that's that came across quite plainly in the first question uh, when we we're talking about general if he has a routine because he's got his he's just got a lot on and or if he had like tools he liked to use and stuff as well and you know there's quite uh, an honest thing to admit that you do rely on a an assistant and you know a lot of people who may have assistants might not think they can say they can and they just like the idea they can spin plates all by themselves and um that draw drew on this idea of delegation has been a massive uh help for productivity and it's something chris martin mentioned the other week you know if you've got you know pull the right levers do the right things yep. and then you know know we've talked about it in the past is if if a task isn't best suited for you and someone else can do better. Maybe it is worth just shoving on at them. <laughs> I was going to say delegate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think Chris was really clear that mm-hmm. you know it was not for him organising his life. Mm-hmm. Somebody else was much better at doing it. Mm-hmm. They've worked together for years, and you know, not to be afraid of maybe looking at that virtual assistant that 
you don't think you need, but actually it could, you know, you could be using your time better. Mm-hmm. Um, also, how interesting how he brought, obviously, it's hard to get away from, but technology in our, in, his, his own routine and productivity and using that to its uh, full potential and talking about first getting a BlackBerry with a calendar that updated. We do totally take these things for granted these days, but it does add, you know, something as simple as a calendar that is accessible from multiple places at once that is always up to date and can tell you what you're doing to a minute in the next two years of almost is uh, can be a, a lifesaver when, a, when you're on the go and you, someone's asking you, can you do this then? And you go, yes, I can. Oh, no, I can't. And those decisions are much easier made rather than going, yes, I'll go home and I'll check my car now. Definitely the doctor though. Mm-hmm. Blackberry in 99. God, I thought I was pretty ahead of the game in 2005, <laughs> rocking this ugly sort of, you know, it wasn't first version, but must have been third or fourth mm-hmm. um, gen Blackberry. And, do you know, it was an awesome tool. Mm-hmm. And you did, you know. Everyone had one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a holster on my belt. I remember when, I mean, I was obviously in business when that was kicking about, but we had them in our school and that was that was the thing. The cool yeah. kids had blackberries and it's like, oh, no, nah, just get me flip phone, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> my razor. I, I have no need for an updatable calendar, no. thanks, at, at 13. <laughs> so I'm going to bring it up because we didn't bring it up at the time. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, what was that? I, Wonderless, did he say? Shocking. Shocking. Chris. Chris, honestly, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I dare you. So a man that, uh, you know, so vehemently sticks up for Dundee and everything Dundee. And, you know, back in the local software company. <laughs> Sorry, there's a free trial in it for you, Chris, if you just get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> or go to the website. <laughs> anyway, no, but I thought that was really useful. Um you know, let's see what Microsoft do to Wanderlust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've not got a great track record, but um, yeah. So. Um, one other thing in his in the second question, talking about managing the business, uh, it's always I always think it's quite interesting to hear from a manager's perspective their problems that they face and anything that can hinder themselves and other people with regards to productivity. And he was again quite honest in saying uh, people. People were the problem, and they are the problem in most walks of life, I feel. And, they're uh, the problem, but they're also the, the solution. massive solution. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah he, and he, you know, uh, he, he was just very keen on hi- hiring the right kind of people. And if things aren't working, he had kind of the backbone, or at least he had chosen to develop a backbone and developed a lack of tolerance for anything that is not working right. And he just even though that goes against his human nature uh, to get rid of these people or kind of sort the situation out however needs to be. No, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. You know that from our early episodes. I think the most important thing for building a good team is to have the right people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and he expanded on this um, quite in depth when he was talking about 4J uh, studios with this idea of keeping his team quite small. Uh, I think he was said 20 people, didn't he? Um, yeah. And this is, yeah. And, and this is like a, you know, a huge company, but huge in the sense of its footprint is massive, but mm. it's, it's actual size is very small. And he just lived by the mantra that of hiring the best people we know, um, giving them a trial period because the errors associated with interviews aren't always the best, you know, maybe when they actually get started and do they fit in and, it comes down to these two questions. Do we need someone to come in and work with us? And is this person amazing? Yeah. 
narrows it down, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Do we need them? Not just we need to have loads of people Mm because we're doing, you know, massive project. Do Mm -hmm. we actually need them? And are they amazing? I'm waiting for all things to scale so I can become the office barista. You know, yeah. when you just need to hire all most those people. people. Have a career, <laughs> most people have a career path that goes, yeah. like, Maria wants to become a barista. Aye, uh, yeah. Cake and coffee. Cake and coffee. Anyway, um, I found it really interesting that uh, the biggest pain points uh, or productivity drains for his company, he felt, were creative ideas and people's take on particular ideas about games, about the development, about everything. It's, he seemed to say... Um, that everyone has throws a two cents in and it can just take up time knowing what to feature next or develop next and things like that. Hey, look, look at what's happening here. Mm-hmm. You know, we go through and say one thing, developers look at us like we're strange and say, why would you do that? Why do they need that? Why does the customer need that? Uh-huh. You know, but ultimately we've got to be driven by what the, the customer, customer needs, wants yeah. and needs. And I think it's perfectly fine to question them. Mm-hmm. And say, well, okay, so tell me why mm-hmm. you need to be able to multiple assign things to do different people. Why would you not do it this way? And sometimes they'll say, oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, they've got the solution. Yeah. But, you know, often just- but it's the different perspectives you take. I mean, they're obviously thinking from the developer's perspective and the people at these games companies are thinking from the developer's perspective or the designer's perspective. But um he also then touched on, you know, how he got around this was that he started to involve the public at a much earlier stage. And I think this is becoming much more of a, a thing, for want of a better word, in the gaming industry, the software industries, the tech startups and things like that, because, you know, you are getting the feedback you want much quicker and uh, from pe- from the people that's actually going to be from. So it's not just trial and error. It's, you know, trial with customer, find yeah. the errors, fix them and then give them what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're just talking about so much in that whole um, conversation with Chris that he, we had a question about Agile, but he'd already kind of answered some of that. But uh, he said it was intrinsic to his team um, because of the size of it, you know, 20 people, and there's no real formal process around it. Um, but that's the way they like to work because of the granular and regular updates that are. Yeah, I mean, it's just lots of iterations and, you know, customers are asking for stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you either go into big games mode whereby, and I use this example, you go into a dark room and mm-hmm. three years later you come out and you produce a game. Yeah. And then that was very much old school Dundee gaming. Mm-hmm. Now... Worldwide gaming. Worldwide, absolutely. Um, now it's a case of people want quick iterations, quick changes, you know, here, add this in, now release it again. You know, it's it makes sense, and that's you know that's ultimately why it works for a lot of software development teams. Um, we've actually just written a post. I say we, Pete, <laughs> has just written a post um, on agile and marketing. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's definitely something that's going not just from development and software teams, but into into other industry sort of departments as well. That could be a whole episode in itself. I mean, the trials and tribulations of agile and non-agile originally agile i'm loving watching pete just anything that's got agile in the title yeah. he's in it mm-hmm. you know i did scratch my head a bit when he said oh, i've decided i'm writing about agile marketing i was like okay <laughs> i'm just gonna leave that one to steve but uh no you crack on no it's excellent um and then we got on to the all important work-life balance um 
and it was really good. <laughs> Sorry, we've just had an interruption. <laughs> totally lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, so we got onto the, you know, the often asked work-life balance question, um, which again, like, you know, managers facing problems in business and, you know, finding about someone's routine can be, in my eyes, interesting. If it's not, please let us know. Um, and how he deals with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. He said that, um, you know, work-life balance was was something that um, he's, you know, been working at in the last couple of years. It's, you know, it's become increasingly more difficult to, um, you know, to get hold of. But ha- since having children, you know, he feels he's done a much better job um, at actually managing his work life and mm-hmm. thinks, his, thinks his wife will actually be happy with the <laughs> progress that he's been making. Um, what I found, and I mentioned this in the interview, you know, this idea of self-reflection probably not touched upon enough. I don't think we've talked about like analysis mm. um, of how you're doing, what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, but setting time aside for self-reflection of what's gone by, not just for what you're going to achieve yeah. um, can be excellent. And he made a really good point of not just self-reflecting, but being critical as well. And, um, you know, really critical like why did it work why didn't it work could it have gone better and should i be doing it next time again back to the chris martin um gotta stop confusing the two chris i was at martin mar martin mar i know so many chris's Uh, it was like the chris show chris vandekyle um but yes no it's very much the message that i took from Mm -hmm. our interview with chris martin was the you know the make sure you're doing the right things and you know evaluate whether it was the right thing for you to be spending your time on yeah uh, all in all, uh, a very, you know, honest and in-depth interview. Really, I felt like, you know, it was... And, and one of the best zombie apocalypse oh, answers Oh my goodness, I, I cannot had. even believe. I didn't even write any notes down because of it. It was just so amazing. He just answered it. it was, that is why I asked that question, because you just get amazing answers like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, kudos. Build a game the zombies would get distracted by. Yeah. So he wouldn't be eaten by zombies. Awesome. Awesome answer. Awesome. God. Yep. Anyway, listen, I really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed yeah, that. Hope really you guys good. did too. Uh, thankfully, there was, for those of you that were tweeting us about the fact we had Chris Van Der Kyle on, mm. um, there was some chat about Minecraft. Yeah. I actually... You couldn't not talk about it. It's That's the reason, partly a lot of the reason why he's in the, he was in this room talking to us. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It was good. <laughs> Um, yeah, fantastic. Excellent. So thank you very much, guys. Make sure you do give us some feedback. Uh, keep those reviews coming on <laughs> Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, make sure you tweet us yeah. at... All things underscore I-O. Awesome, Maria. Well done. <laughs> yeah. It's like you practice that. I, is, isn't it? I say it in my sleep. Um, <laughs> I also like to announce we've got Chris... Uh, no, Craig. Oh, so many Chris's. So many Chris's. We've got Craig Jarrell from Time Management Ninja coming on. Absolutely uh, in a few love weeks what time. those guys are doing. They're, Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So if you've not read it, check it out. Time Management Ninja. It's uh, all about productivity. Uh, and time management. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> it's not going about unicorns, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, Craig's a great guy. He's also got a great team behind him. Um, so, yeah, we've... We actually sponsored their website last week and a couple of months ago. Um, but he's got some, I mean, he or he writes about productivity all day, every day, it seems. Yeah. All his content is about being productive, managing your time, project management, you know. It's pretty much what it says on the tin. So it'll be really interesting to get him on and hear his uh, 
point of view. Yeah, it's really good. We're starting to get some really good guests. Um, not that if you were listening and you were a guest before that you weren't really good. <laughs> wow, Dave, dig, dig, dig. dig, dig. dig. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, no, I mean, it's it's interesting as our viewer number, listener mm-hmm. numbers grow even. Um, yeah. We are getting approached by more people to go and speak in their podcast as well. Wow, as, we're um, just practically famous. I'm like paparazzis famous. outside. <laughs> No, that's just a weird guy with his, <laughs> with his camera. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. And thanks. we'll catch you in the next episode. Catch you on the flip side. Flip side. Yo, yo. Bye-bye. If you want more of All Things Productivity, check out allthingsproductivity.com for articles, videos, and of course, the All Things Productivity app. And don't forget to leave us some feedback. Comment at allthingsproductivity.com or tweet us at allthings underscore io. Thanks for listening.